Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome along to this edition of the La Liga Lowdown podcast. I'm your host, Jim McTeer, and this week we're going to be discussing five of the coaches of the future. We put out a poll last week for you, our listeners and followers, to select the five up-and-coming coaches that you wanted us to talk about. The results are in, and we're going to be discussing Diego Forlan, Guti, Raul, Xabi Alonso and Xavi Hernandez, and analysing their first steps into the world of coaching. We start with the coach who received the fifth most votes, Diego Forlan, who we actually recently did an entire La Liga Lowdown podcast episode on, so check that out. 50% of voters included Forlan as one of their picks, and Matt Clark is coming up to discuss the Uruguayans' transition to the dugout. Aparece Forlán, el rechace para Forlán, le pega Forlán duro. Golazo extraordinario de Forlán. Silaquero, and he's worked it into Diego Forlán. That surely will be the winner in this final. It's no surprise that you all voted Diego Forlán into our top five players turned coaches, and based on his playing days, his coaching is sure to generate a lot of interest too. Football is in Forlán's blood. His father Pablo and grandfather Juan Carlos Corazo were both successful professionals. So you'd be forgiven for thinking that Forlan's progress in the game was simple. However, Forlan's path was anything but easy and it was a family tragedy which changed his entire outlook on life. Forlan loved tennis, perhaps even more than football as a youngster, but that all changed when a car crash seriously injured his sister. The medical bills were piling up and Forlan realised that football and the higher wage potential that came with it would be the way he had to go. He became Forlan the footballer and his career took him to nine countries and many major honours. His best years were in Spain, when he became a goal-scoring machine at Villarreal and then Atletico Madrid. He won the Pichichi Trophy twice with those two different clubs. He remains the only player to achieve that feat this century. And he did it amongst prestigious company, when La Liga had Samuel Eto'o, Fernando Torres, David Villa and Leo Messi all vying for the award. His international career was also a success. He was a star at the 2010 World Cup, won the Copa America in 2011 and was the first Uruguayan to reach a century of caps. Forlan brought the curtain down on his career in 2019 and he hasn't wasted any time before starting to coach. Last December he was appointed as the new head coach at Peñarol. This is almost a fairy tale position for him, back home in Uruguay and at his boyhood club. 
Voiland proudly announced himself as a coach to the world at his unveiling to the press. To have my first experience in a club of traditions and of high level like Peñarol is more than I dreamed of, he said. When you play, you notice if you like soccer itself. It isn't only about playing. I enjoy it, I like it, I analyse it, I see it. That last part gives hints at his thought process about the game. He suggests that he'll have a holistic approach to his methods, drawing on the tactical facets but also those hard to define, unmeasurable elements of the beautiful game. How it makes you feel, how players live through their football. Call me a romantic, but I'm hooked by that. Forlan's story reveals a lot about the kind of person he is and what attributes he might take forward into coaching. After experiencing that tragedy in his youth, he's also had many low moments and setbacks along the way. He was rejected after trials at Nancy, and when he made it to Europe, he was labelled as Forlan the Flop and Diego Forlorn when at Manchester United. Many people could have given up there and then, but not Forlan. From the moment he changed course and committed to football, he has persevered. He's been a dedicated professional who has worked hard throughout his career, through the good times and the bad. It's these traits of never giving up, picking yourself up when you get knocked down, that will stand him in good stead for management. This willing attitude endeared him to fans all over the world. In our Forlan podcast, David Crackman of the Uruguayan Heroes Twitter account explained how Forlan was a leader for the national team. He told us how he was an inspiration for the fans of La Celeste. As we all know, winning over the fans and keeping them sweet is the holy grail for coaches, especially for the new coaching kids on the block. But Forlan is widely adored already, so he has some credit in the bank. That connection with the fans could be vital for him as he navigates his way into coaching. He is straight in at the deep end, but at least he has a pair of armbands. Football writer Gary Thacker is more cautious about Forlan's chances. The simple fact is that great players don't necessarily make great coaches. Perhaps even Rembrandt would have made a lousy art teacher, he told me. It's true, for every Pep Guardiola, there is a Gary Neville. One of Gary's reservations is knowing how difficult it is to transmit knowledge to players who may not necessarily be as technically gifted as the coach. He asks, how do you teach lesser players to perform as you did? This could become frustrating for Forlan and could ultimately impact his chances of success. Another fascinating part of Forlan's career which may influence his coaching is the experienced bosses he has played under and been able to learn from. Over his 21 year career he has encountered coaches with a wide range of different approaches and philosophies. Cesar Luis Menotti, Sir Alex Ferguson, Manuel Pellegrini, Oscar Tavares and briefly Giampiero Gasparini to name just a few. This has given Forlan an abundance of material to utilise. Gary Thacker compares this to other contemporary coaches emerging in the game. From Frank Lampard to Mikel Arteta, they have all drawn on the experiences of their mentors and Forlan has the scope to do likewise. Similarly, Forlan himself acknowledged that his globetrotting career has helped him. He said, Having travelled all over the world taught me a lot. How every country lives football. How the cultural side affects the tactics of different teams. There are some things you have to realise that won't be the same. For me that's an advantage. It seems clear that having more experiences in football, different coaches and styles, various leagues and cultures can only benefit your development as a coach. Forlan seems to think so. Taking your own combination, a pick and mix approach can really help form that holistic view he seems to favour. Forlan's assistant at Peñarol is his father Pablo. This is a good move. It will help to give guidance, authority and credibility to Forlan. But knowing families, there could also be some differences of opinion, which might undermine the whole project. In any case, Peñarol's season started in February, but the season hit the brakes in March with the spread of the coronavirus pandemic. As a result, Forlan has only five competitive games on his record, and it's the very definition of a mixed bag. 
two wins, a draw and two defeats. Early days of course, and it is far too soon and unfair to make a judgement this early. Nothing is guaranteed in football, so I can't say for sure how Forlan will do as a coach. There will be some tough times ahead, but he has shown he is willing to face these challenges head on. Based on his career, his experiences and his characteristics, what I can say is that he will put in hard graft and dedication needed to succeed. If he wants it enough and has enough support, he will get results and make himself into a great coach. That's the story of Forlan then, who is starting out as a coach in Uruguay. Next up, we have someone who is currently working in Spain. It's Guti, who was voted in by 54% of voters. To tell Guti's story, here's Paco Pollitt. Oh, whipped in from the resulting free kick. Now the shot. It's tied up and it's Guti. I guess there's no neutral position when talking about Jose Maria Gutierrez Guti. Either you love him as a player or you consider him an overrated cocky guy. But we're not here to talk about the player, but instead we want to know more about his transformation into a manager. However, both sides of his personality must be acknowledged if we want to succeed. On the pitch, his story is quite simple. Born in 1976, he was signed by Real Madrid when he was 9 years old. Made his professional debut in 1995 under coach Jorge Valdano and spent a whopping 15 years playing for Real. He made a name for himself after Vicente del Bosque was handed the reins of the squad in 1999, the same year when he made his first appearance with the Spanish national team. He played as number 10, but also as an offensive midfielder and even as the striker for the team in 2001, when Fernando Morientes was out for an injury for a few months. He conquered 15 trophies in his more than 500 games for Los Blancos, including 5 La Liga championships and 3 champions league titles. In summer 2010, he left Real Madrid, played two more seasons in Turkey for Besiktas and finally retired in 2012. He used to hit up quite a bit when playing and he was in the center of quite a few controversies, allegedly being a fan of clubbing and partying hard when he was a player for Real Madrid. Guti often dismissed these reports and begged the press and fans to just look at his game, not his behavior. Maturing both as a player and as a human being in a giant club as Real isn't easy, but the Madrid-born playmaker became a fan favorite just for that. His decision-making on the pitch improved every year, his game became more and more reliable, and he delighted the crowd with legendary moments such as that backheel assist to Benzema in Riazor, possibly his most remembered play. His controversial personality was exactly one of the reasons some people couldn't believe he would become a manager. After all, he had had his fair share of fights and disagreements with a few of his own coaches, such as Fabio Capello. After retiring in 2012, Guti took his time and didn't immediately make a move into coaching. He spent a fair bit of time with his family and slowly learned the ropes in the different manager courses until finally kicking off his experience in the under-15 squads of Real Madrid's youth academy. He got an increase in his responsibilities in summer 2016 when he was put in charge of Real Madrid's Juvenil A, the star under-19 squad of the academy. He would go on to win the tripleta in his first season as a manager. League, 
Copa del Rey and Copa de Campeones and had players who made it into the first team such as Achraf Hakimi or midfielder Fede Valverde. Next season he would leave the academy. He was ready for a bigger challenge and after a short stint in Turkey he was back to Spain, waiting. Such opportunity took place in November 2019 in a weirdly controlled club as Union Deportiva Almería. The club was to be managed by Oscar Fernández in the summer. Suddenly millionaire Tulki Al Sheikh bought the club, sacked Fernández, brought in Pedro Emanuel and later then sacked the coach after only four months when Almería were in the second place in Segunda División. Along came Guti, his first professional venture into managing and he actually did a pretty good job. Before the coronavirus outbreak, Almería remained third with 50 points only six away from leading the table. One of the best things about the coach have been definitely his press conferences. For example, in December 2019 he asked journalists to no longer call him Guti but Jose Maria Gutiérrez, possibly to mark a turning point in his career, burying his player story and kicking off a bright managing future. So I guess we should do exactly that. Gutiérrez has never hit his desire to coach Real Madrid's first team someday and succeeding with Almeria could be a good stepping stone in that direction. Most of his players have been starstruck by him in his rookie season. Dani Albiar, midfielder in Almeria, stated this season that being coached by him was a surreal experience because he was one of his favorite players when he was young. However, Gutierrez didn't even flinch when he had to slap his team awake. After a disappointing draw against Numancia in February 2020, he stated in the press room that it seemed his players didn't want to promote this year. What does the future await for Gutierrez? Frankly, I think he will make it into the elite of managers because of his strong Real Madrid background and good results to this point. It remains to be seen his performance with lesser quality teams. After all, his juvenil was made of top under-19 players from arguably one of the best academies in Europe and Almeria has had quite an expensive squad built this season in order to promote. Maybe landing in a second or third tier La Liga side would allow Guti to fully show his abilities as a coach. Oh, I said Guti. Sorry, actually I was referring to Gutierrez. Guti, Gutierrez, it's tough to keep up. The three coaches coming up in part two of this podcast though all have just the one name. As far as I'm aware, at least. We'll be moving on to them after this short break. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome back to this podcast on the Coaches of the Future. We're looking at former La Liga players who are currently taking their first steps into the world of coaching. We've already heard about Diego Forlan and Guti. Now we move on to the third young coach you voted for, Raul, who took 70% of voters' votes. To discuss the former Real Madrid player and current coach of Real Madrid Castilla, their B team, here's Sam Leverage. 
Ya sube por el costado Raúl, el que viene Sergio, Sergio con posibilidades de centro, a poner el punto de penalti, Raúl. Busca oh, sorprender oh, Raúl, oh. el golazo de Raúl. Carlos, the quick throw, the catch is out Leverkusen, and Raúl has scored on eight minutes for Real Madrid. Well, Raúl is a player, Raúl González Blanco is a Real Madrid legend. There are few players in the club's history who can even compare to his record. This is a player who, in the Galacticos era, was the fan favourite, despite not having the glittering brand, the, the international recognition. But he was the homegrown talent, signed from Atletico as a teenager, who then went on to show the world what he was capable of, and for a long time was one of the best at Real Madrid and in Spain as well. He's got 323 goals across over 700 appearances for Real Madrid and for a while was their leading goal scorer. As age caught up with him, he did move on. He joined Schalke in the Bundesliga and then after a renaissance there, leading them as they sparked a revival in the Champions League even as well. He moved on to Al-Sad in Qatar and then finally tailed off his career at New York Cosmos in the US. After retirement, Raúl was pretty quick to get his coaching badges sorted. And by June 2018, he'd already got his AMB license from UEFA. And it took him another year in June 2019 when he'd finally get the pro license, which would allow him to train up until Segunda División. And it was quite clear that he was always going to head back to Real Madrid for his coaching career. And he did just that in 2018 after he got that UEFA AMB license. And he started off with the under-15s and and had a nice start there with the youngsters quite an easy stepping into the role and getting to know the system that he was once a part of then it was much quicker than expected in March 2019 when his former youth team teammate Álvaro Benito was sacked after some controversial comments in the media after Real Madrid were beaten by Barcelona in the Copa del Rey semi-final and so Raúl stepped up to the under-18s and then only three months after that when he finally got his pro license he was given the job as the manager of Castilla, the role he currently holds. And perhaps it was that journey as a player, the glittering playing career, that gives Raúl the confidence that he has. He hasn't been with Castilla for very long, but he's already made his mark. And some of the rules that he put in with his young players made an impression right from the off. Straight away he implemented a new set of rules for the Castilla players with uniforms, with timetables, all sorts of things. Some of them included the fact that Every player was required to wear exactly the same club official rucksack, the same trainers. They weren't allowed to wear headphones in the dressing room on match days, on the team bus or anything like that. And there's one quote from Raul which really kind of summed up his management style, the kind of dedication that he has, which was that when they were playing part-time team Las Rozas in Segunda B, he said, you can't go to a team like Las Rozas with a Louis Vuitton rucksack worth 600 euros. And he's winning over the fans and the media with claims like that. And people see Raul, even though he was the superstar footballer, as the down-to-earth kind of coach that is quite hard to find at the highest level. He's putting in that kind of discipline with his team as well. He says that at Valdebebas, he expects his players one hour and 15 minutes before training. But speaking to local journalist Nestor Saez of Manda Pelotas, he said that if players are more, arrive less than an hour and a half before training, then Raul considers it to be late. And then even beyond that, he's taken more measures. He put in double training sessions every single week on a Wednesday, which is something that the first team only do during pre-season. 
And then the measure that he's taken that's perhaps made the biggest impact on those in charge at Real Madrid was when they sent a camera crew to the training ground of Alabebas to film a documentary about La Fabrica Real Madrid's youth system. Raul said no. He said that he wasn't allowing the cameras in. They weren't going to film any of his training sessions. They weren't going to be involved with his team and it would be a distraction for his players. And Florentino Perez was reportedly pretty impressed by that. Raul's been at Castilla this season, Real Madrid's B team, and he's done a fairly good job. He hasn't exactly won everybody over with the results that have come in. And as the season's been drawn to a close early, Real Madrid-Castilla finished in seventh place in Segunda B Group 1. And so that was just five points off the playoffs. And at home, they had some very impressive form. From the 15 games they played at home, they won nine of them. Not a bad run at all. In fact, only two teams in the division won more games at home. But it was away from home where they were a little disappointing. And they won just one of their 13 games on the road all season, which is less than all of the teams in the relegation zone in that group. So... Fans have been pretty impressed. They're happy to see him coming through, but there's still plenty of work for him to do at Castilla to try and get them back into Segunda Division and really prove himself as a coach. And so what do we think? Could Raul be a good coach in the end? Well, he's certainly on the right track with that fast track through the Real Madrid ranks, much like Zinedine Zidane when he returned to the club and even the likes of Santiago Solari who made the same journey going from Castilla to the first team. Raul seems to be the next candidate that Florentino Perez has his eye on and he certainly seems to be doing the right things. He has the right approach. He's got that dedication and he certainly seems to be winning over some favours with the right people. He's a popular figure. The media love him. The fans love him. If Real Madrid are in a time of crisis anytime soon, it will be hard to look past Raul as the obvious candidate that people are going to be calling for. We move on now to the number two coach from the poll we held, the one who took 77% in the poll. It's another former Real Madrid player, it's Xabi Alonso, who has been working with Real Sociedad's B team. Our man in the Basque country is Dan Parry, and here he is coming up to tell us about Xabi Alonso, the coach. Punto de penalti, Alonso con pierna derecha, brazo en jarra, vamos Xavi, vamos, vamos, ahí está Alonso, chuta Alonso, ¡Oh! ¡Oh! Alonso que pega. Xavi Alonso es el most highly decorated player in Basque history. I mean, he's won two Champions Leagues, one World Cup, two European Championships and a lot more domestic trophies on top of all of that. He's played for some of the most important clubs in the world. You know, he started his career off uh, La Real, Real Sociedad, his hometown club. He then moved on to Liverpool, played for Real Madrid and he saw out the rest of his career at Bayern Munich. And in that time, he played under some of the greatest managers of the modern era. I mean, he was given his uh, debut by... Uh, John Toshak, he played for Rafa Benitez, Jose Mourinho, Pep Guardiola, uh, Carlo Ancelotti. These are really, you know, the, the most, some of the most important managers of our period. And he picked up a lot of experience from, from all of those. Everyone probably can remember what sort of player Xavi Alonso was. He was actually a really fantastic all-round central midfielder, but he excelled in a deeper playmaking kind of position. He was a very cerebral player always sort of six steps ahead of everyone else on the pitch, 
always looking to see how he could influence the game kind of from, from behind. So he retired in 2017 whilst he was at Bayern Munich. They didn't actually want him to retire. They offered him a contract to try to keep him for another year. Carlo Ancelotti actually wanted him to stay on as well to become his assistant manager. And it's funny, uh, when he retired, the words on everyone's lips were management. Everyone was thinking already, oh, when is Xabi Alonso going to step into management? Because when he becomes a manager, he's going to be absolutely fantastic. Jose Mourinho said it. Guardiola was very, very certain of the fact that Xabi was going to go on to become a manager and become a fantastic manager. In interviews, he's alluded to the fact that uh, that Alonso was a very keen learner, that he already had an extensive knowledge of the tactics of the game and that, in his opinion, he would become a, a class manager. It would have been quite easy for Alonso to step into pretty much any job. He could have done the typical thing where he goes becomes an assistant manager for someone like Carlo Ancelotti and then moves into a big, big job. But he wanted to do it his own way. So he went back to Spain, got his coaching badges, and his first job was as the coach for Real Madrid's under-14s, where he did a really good job because they won the league title. Um, in fact, for anyone who's interested, there's a really good video on YouTube for Coach's Voice where Xabi Alonso talks about the sort of positions that he used to play in all of the different teams that he was in. He talks about his influence, his role, what he was expected to do. And he speaks a little bit as well about how he got that under-14s team playing. After that, he decided to head back to his hometown. So he wanted to go back to San Sebastian, back to La Real. This was a very important decision for him. He always had this vision in his mind that his managerial career would start off at La Real. Obviously, it's his home, it's where he's from, it's where he feels most comfortable. And I guess in that case, he'll also be allowed to make mistakes there. But we shouldn't understate this as well, that he was made the manager of uh, La Real's B team, Sanse, which is in a very, very important position for that club. Uh, Joaquin Eperribay, the, the, the president of the club, said, you know, we are giving him the crown jewel. That club is so important. That side is so important for La Real because La Real are a side that depend on producing young players. It's like a factory. They need players who can step up from Sanse and go straight in to play at La Liga. So giving it to Xabi Alonso was a, a big, big commitment. And that's part of the reason why, surprisingly, there was some mixed feelings about Xabi Alonso returning. Uh, first of all, people thought that he was inexperienced, that he didn't know the club as well as other coaches who he got the position ahead of. And also, there were still some fans who weren't happy about how Xabi Alonso left Real Sociedad. There were fans who weren't happy about the fact that uh, Xabi Alonso played for Real Madrid, who a lot of Real Sociedad fans uh, aren't exactly huge fans of because they feel that Real Madrid are constantly poaching Real Sociedad's best players. And they also, some fans claim that Xabi Alonso had always said that his intention before he retired was to go back to Real Sociedad and play one final testimonial season, which of course never happened. So yeah, there were some mixed feelings towards Xabi when he came back. It's not what you might expect where everyone was just super happy, like the prodigal son. It wasn't like that at all. 
But all those feelings and that animosity did die down because he's done a very good job. Uh, Sanzer playing in a very competitive league, were playing in competitive league until it, uh, until COVID-19 brought it to an end. All of the Bass teams, all of their uh, reserve sides are all in that league. Um, last season, for example, Racing Santander had a side in that league. Mirandes have been in that league recently. Uh, uh, Castilla have sometimes been in that, that particular group in Segunda Bay. So it's a very difficult group and he's done quite a good job. Uh, by the time the COVID-19 thing came into, came into play, they were fifth in the league, just shy of the playoff spots. Tactically, his team is everything that you might expect it to be. Uh, a lot like him as a player, they want to control possession. He wants his size to control the games, but he wants them also to be flexible. He's spoken about this a lot. He wants his sides to be able to adapt to what's happening in front of them in order to win a match. So it's not just all about playing tiki-taka. Sometimes he's aware that you might have to play a different style in order to grind out a victory, which is uh, obviously quite important. Do I think he'll be a success? Yeah. Partly one of the reasons why he's doing so well at Larvia at the moment is because he he not does not only does he do the right things, but he seems to say the right things. So for example, he's actually a very eloquent and very articulate guy, which I personally believe always is a good sign for a manager because it means that they they can express their ideas properly to players and it's easier for them to to convey their ideas. But when he came to Larvia, he said, you know, look. I know what my job here is. I'm not here to to pull the rug under anyone. I don't want to take anyone's jobs. I want to do my job, which is making sure that players are prepared properly for the first team. And also I'm here to learn how to be a manager. Like I said before, he quite easily could have done what Sidan did, go in as an assistant manager and then take over at club or what Arteta did with Guardiola, where you, know, you go in under these big managers and then you move on to another big job but that's not the way that Alonso wants to do it and I think that's one of the reasons why he will go on to be a good manager because he has his own process he has his own vision he says he wants to go at his own pace he doesn't want to rush he wants to go through all those steps that any other manager in history would have gone through if they weren't a massive player like he was he wants to be in control of his own career which is kind of exactly the way he played football on the pitch. He controlled the games. And for those reasons, I genuinely do believe that he will go on to have a fantastic career as a coach. Next up, we hear about another Xavi, Xavi Hernandez. He received the most votes in our poll with 81% of those who voted having selected the Catalan amongst their picks. So here's the last coach of the future that we're talking about in this podcast. Here's Roman de Arquer on Xavi Hernandez. Ya en el área, Pedro centra atrás, Siniestra deja pasar, Xavi va a tirar a puerta, ¡gol! ¡Gol de Xavi! Dentro del área para Xavi, le pega a Xavi, ¡gol, gol, 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 Xavi Hernández is one of those players that won't be forgotten. Not just because of all the titles he won, but for his football and how he became a centerpiece in a style that has transcended in this sport. Xavi's desire was always to retire at Barcelona, but as it happens, in one's career there are always moments of doubt or temptation. 
1999, when he was 19 years old, he got a very appealing offer from Milan where he was guaranteed the minutes he wasn't getting at Barca. Then in 2008, after Barca's decline with Rijkaard and Ronaldinho, Bayern Munich were keen on convincing the Catalan midfielder to try a new experience in a different competition. And again in 2014, he considered leaving to New York City Football Club after a poor season with Tata Martino in which Xavi had lost some protagonism. But in those three occasions, his final decision was to stay. And it paid off. From 1999 onwards, Barca went through a rough patch, but Xavi managed to establish himself at the first team. In 2008, Pep Guardiola came in and convinced him to stay, and the rest is history. And in 2014, Luis Enrique made him believe it was worth playing another year at Barca, and they won the club's second treble. So Xavi fought his way through those difficult moments and turned them into marvellous memories. But in 2015, he finally decided to leave despite his original idea of retiring at the club of his dreams. It seemed like a good moment to take another step in his career. Al-Sad put an offer on the table for Xavi to come to Qatar, which he just couldn't refuse. Not only was he going to get a hefty sum of money and be treated like royalty among other advantages, but he'd also get his first coaching opportunity four years in after getting to know the team from the inside. So he ended his journey at Barcelona with eight Spanish leagues, four Champions Leagues and many more trophies for a total of 27 titles, as well as a World Cup and two European Championships with Spain, among other individual distinctions. Now the big question is, will he be capable of achieving similar success as a manager? Well, the truth is that the pressure on him is tremendous, especially here in Barcelona where many fans are convinced he'll be the new Pep Guardiola. At the moment, with Alsada, he's achieved two titles, which is definitely a good start, but in the league his team is in third position, 10 points away from leaders Alduail, who at the same time are curiously the team Xavi defeated in both finals. So it's a bit of a bittersweet start, especially after having won the league the previous year as a player. Now with five games left, a comeback seems very unlikely, but of course, it's his first year and he still has plenty of time to keep learning and improving. At the moment, he's clearly reflecting all the knowledge he's absorbed at Barcelona as a player, and implements a possession-based 4-3-3 formation. His team also tries to play the ball out from the back with the goalkeeper and has an offensive approach. Proof of this is that the team either tends to win comfortably or lose by big margins. That may also have to do with the competitiveness of the Qatari league, but ultimately it's curious to see how it's played out this way so far in his first spell as a manager. And two words are usually highlighted by Xavi when he explains his philosophy, space and time. He wants his players to complete the necessary movements to provide space and time for teammates to execute their next move, preferably in dangerous and offensive positions. There's clearly a heavy influence here from John Cruz's philosophy, and the fact is that after working for coaches such as Guardiola, Pangal, Luis Enrique or Luis Aragonés among others, he definitely has a lot of ideas he can put to the test. But already Xavi had an offer from Barcelona to become their coach earlier in 2020, although he was wise enough to reject it. Similarly, Guardiola and his one season at Barca B come to mind, which was a very premature yet successful leap, but Xavi decided to be more prudent, also influenced by the club's volatile board, which he's not too keen on. Now if you ask me, Xavi is probably going to struggle more as a manager than he did as a player. The pressure I mentioned before could be very defining, and everyone knows comparisons are odious, especially if you're weighed up against a managing legend such as Guardiola. 
There's no doubt that Xavi has the right mentality and the perfect philosophy to implement in a team such as Barcelona. But can he also make that work consistently in a team such as Al Sadd? Whatever the outcome, his first test in Qatar could be misleading. And then there's the players. When you're managing the likes of Iniesta, Messi, Busquets, Xavi himself, you know that they're the right people to implement the position of football Cruyff nourished in the late 80s and early 90s. Yet who knows what players Xavi will get his hands on in the future. But there's no doubt whatsoever that he's convinced of how he wants his team to play and that he has that leadership which we could already appreciate as a player. Those are two important factors that can help him succeed, but only time will tell. So that's all for this podcast on the coaches of the future. Thanks to Matt Clark for talking about Diego Forlan. Thanks to Paco Pollitt for telling us about Guti. Thanks to Sam Leverage for reporting on Raul. Thanks to Dan Parry for reflecting on Xabi Alonso's move into coaching. And thanks to Roman de Arquer for telling us all about Xavi Hernandez's philosophy. We'll have articles with further stories and details about each of these young coaches coming up on our website on LaLigaLowdown.com. So check that out too. That's all then from the pod squad and from me, Ewan McTeer. Thanks a lot for listening.